Hey, good morning, guys. Let's have a word of prayer and let's get started this morning. Uh, Father, we just thank you for this brand new day, for um, all the promises that lay in store. We just thank you for the weather that lifts our spirit. And more than that, Father, we just thank you for the hope that you instill in us. In the midst of storms um, that we know that you have us, that your rainbow promises that we won't be we won't be undone by this world, but that you'll be triumphant. And so we just praise you for that this morning. And Father, just give us hope as we have this conversation. Um, give us wisdom and most of all, protect our children. In your name, amen. Hey, good morning, everybody. I got some sleep last night, so I'm feeling good. Traveling from the Northwest, I've discovered that you have different things for me to be allergic to. And so my hay fever or whatever is kind of acting up, but I am happy to be with you guys. I discovered that little trail that goes, what, what the Freedom Trail, is that what it's called? Heartland Trail. Heartland Trail. That is fantastic. That is fantastic. So I went and discovered some mosquitoes on that, but excited to be with you guys. Some of you are a little distrustful right now. If you want one of these um, things, um, feel free to grab one. I'll explain it as we go. There's no pressure to play with, with a pipe cleaner, but some of you would benefit from that. So yesterday we talked about raising life-ready kids. Um, if you remember this Acts, it was this idea that our kids need to grow in personal responsibility over time and us as parents need to hand off responsibility. Clear on this phase, you remember that parents have more responsibility early on in the kid's life. Remember the kid can't do anything by themselves, not even hold up their head. They can't ask for anything. The parent's responsibility is to guess and figure it out. And over time, you raise their ability. You know, just as an illustration, um, do you remember teaching your kids how to clean their room? As a baby baby, who cleans the room? The parent does, right? And you only clean it when you start stumbling on stuff because you're so tired, so you start kicking stuff out of the way. That's the, that's the cleaning. We have friends right now that just have a two-year-old, and she just gave birth to twins. They're in survival mode. And so right now, the room's not that clean, but they're surviving. But over time you start teaching the child how to, how to clean their room. And a lot of that, especially when you've got a two-year-old on their hands or one, one two-year-old, is that you're giving them two to three toys and you're trying to fill their arms up as they clean their room. And then you're putting stuff away as fast as possible. And why do you give them stuff to, to put away? So they stop messing things up, <laughs> you know, because have you ever been in that situation where you're putting stuff away and your kid is pulling stuff out as fast as possible? And so, yeah, you're giving them stuff, but pretty soon you're standing in the room and you're guiding them. You're saying that goes there, that goes there. Um, I bought a, well, actually I was given a mandolin. I've played guitar for years, but I was given a mandolin. You know what that is, like a little ukulele type thing. And that's what I use when it's my kids cleaning room time, because I can sit there and dwaddle with that and I can give directions but I'm no longer doing that. But I still have to be there, especially for my little guy who's got some uh, special needs. I have to kind of be there and, and guide him through it. But over time, you're not in your kid's room anymore, but you still have expectations for how they clean it. The teenage conversation turns from um, teaching to coaching as they become more responsible. And so remember that that's our overall goal. Um, we're gonna have this model throughout the time, but think about how many conversations how many times of modeling, how many times of top practice it takes for your kid to learn how to clean their room? Is it more than one? Yeah, it's over and over and over. And I don't know about you guys, but what we see at Project Patch is that even from a hygiene, there's times that kids reach their teen years and they take a slump in hygiene. Have you noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> Do they start? You're like, oh God, I just want to, I want something. Yeah, it's frustrating. You know. One of the, the things that we don't put on our job description for Project Patch staff is the sniff test. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? 
Did you brush your teeth? Yes. Yes, I brushed my teeth. No, you didn't. I don't think you did. <laughs> we have actually kids at Patch who, who sometimes say they wash their hair, but they just put it on that very crown of their head because that's where they think staff will smell. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting, but the process is that we want our kids to choose over time to become self-motivated to do these things. You know, so much of what we do as parents involves being able to talk with our kids, being able to share our hearts with them, being able to connect verbally with our kids. And I don't know about you guys, but there are days that, that I'm raising two girls and a little boy. There's days that the conversation flows and there's days that it doesn't. I work really hard at connecting with teens as much as possible and there's days that teens will just give you the huh, uh-huh. And then there's days that conversations flows. What I want to share with you is just some models that we've experienced at Project Patch to increase the likelihood of being able to communicate with teens. Um, the, the chance of kids sharing significantly, getting that to increase. And so that's today's goal. Remember tomorrow's goal is tomorrow we're talking about pornography, same time, same place. Um, the day after that on Thursday, we're talking about video game addiction and compulsive video game play and, and going through some plans on, on helping your kids if they're challenged by that. And then Friday, we'll end with social media, probably talking a lot about phones and apps and about kids um, navigating the different levels of social things that they're going through. So that's, that's our plan. Another reminder is that I've had some people take me up on it. I'm here, available, willing, wanting um, to connect with parents and do some coaching, do some conversations. If you've got something that's really working for you as a parent that you'd like us to share with me to get, help get the word out, you know, that sort of thing I'd love to. So um, sign up right here if you'd like to meet. I'm available every day except for during this time, okay? That kind of makes sense. Meal times, I love meal times, that sort of stuff, so I um, would love to talk. So how to communicate with teens that don't want to talk? The key point for today is that you need to be able to talk about difficult things. Um, here's what's interesting is that you need to be able to talk about it, but, but have you noticed that a lot of your times your kids are really resistant to getting information from you? They just don't want to hear it. Um, what I have to say is that, especially for moms in the room here, and moms, raise your hand. Um, moms in the room with your teenage daughters, you are at a higher level of struggle on this. You've got so much to teach your daughters, and especially um, as your daughters get into the teenage years, they're going to be super resistant to your wisdom. Super resistant to your wisdom. Important things for you to share with them, but, but they're resistant. And I'm just going to give you a real good clue for this, is that there's times that your girlfriends or another relative that's, a, that's another female will share something with your daughter that you've been trying to get through to her for months. And she'll come to you and say, did you hear what she just said? <laughs> and what you're going to be saying is, oh, I've been telling you for months. Um, but here's what, what I have to say is that, that, especially for moms, you would do good by surrounding yourselves with other women um, to, to mentor your, your daughter, to communicate with your daughter. And for some of you, you're saying, I really want to use these skills with my daughter. Use these with the daughters of your friends. You know, use this as a, as a connecting um, tool, not just for your own family, for others. Because there will be a phase where, where other people are way smarter than you. And rather than fight it, you know, build systems around it. So you need to be able to talk about difficult things. Your kids might not want to talk about it. You know, your kids just might want to tone you out. And what are some ways that teens have been communicating more and more that they don't want to talk? Headphones. Headphones. That's a huge one, isn't it? Headphones. And so did you realize that a lot of times kids will have headphones in their ear and music might not even be on? It's just a sign that they don't, they don't want to communicate. Um, 
So the headphones, what's another sign that kids use if they don't want to talk? Closed? Describe that a little bit more. Oh, door closed. Yeah. And so they'll, as soon as they come into the house, they'll try to get to the private area. Yeah, so that disconnected that way. How else? They're on their phones. On their phones. Yeah, so they're focused down. Isn't it funny to see teens together? We'll talk about it on Friday a little bit, but they'll be texting each other, <laughs> sitting right next to each other. It's like, what in the world? Um, but that's, that is their, their way, is selective, careful communication. They, they let in only so much. Well, what else do you see as teens, the ways that they communicate that they, they're not that interested in talking? It's like they're asleep, like in the back. Yeah, so they zone out. Yeah, yeah. he literally close his eyes and he's like, he's sleeping. He's not He's not sleeping. You know that he's not sleeping. I have daughters that do that. As soon as we've been on a long trip, as soon as we get home, you know, I'm sleeping, Dad. You need to carry me in. <laughs> They'll pretty much say that. It's like, if you're talking to me, you can't be asleep. Um, but yeah, that's the, that's the world that our, our kids are in. So think about our kids are communicating a lot of stuff that they don't want to talk, but, but at the same time, what are some signs that they do want to talk? They'll come into the room where you are. They won't say anything, but they'll just come into that room. You're like, what do you want? Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I haven't seen you in two days. This is weird. <laughs> what are you doing here? Okay, so they'll, they'll show up where you are. Yeah. Yeah, they'll show up where you are. That's, that's a big one. What else? You know, what, what I'll say is that there's times that teens that really need to talk will say something really, really hurtful. They'll engage in a hurtful way to try to get a response and, and try, to, try to connect. There's teens that, will, that we've seen that will even self-harm because they want the attention, they want the focus. And so there's a wide range of it, but a lot of times our teens will actually do negative behaviors to get, to get conversations going. They'll actually create some conflict and drama in order to, to connect, which is really odd, because I don't know about you guys, but when I have conflict and drama, what do I want to do? Run, <laughs> yeah, I want to get away from it. And it's really a poor way to communicate that I have needs, but honestly, when you look at teens and some of their negative behaviors or some of their, their, their strange behaviors, it can often be just a, a quick sign that, that they need to connect, that they want to connect, but they don't know how. And they feel weird asking for it. And so we're going to go through some of that. Um, I love this, this is from Proverbs 25. A plan in the heart of a man is like deep water, but a man of understanding draws it out. How many of you have ever had to use a bucket and a well for your primary water source? Even for like a camping trip or a, or a mission trip or something. Um, how did that work out for you? How was it? Not too good, but it, it worked. It worked. So you throw the bucket down, pull it up. Were you ever surprised, wow, this, I got a lot of water. I could use this all day. Or were you like, I'm going to have to do it again? <laughs> Yeah, a lot of times, right? And, and what I find interesting is that the Bible has all sorts of well analogies. Um, the idea of a deep well with, with, and the deeper the well, what was the better fact about that? The purer the water, right? The colder, the cleaner. And so if you think about that the analogy is this, that Solomon's, Solomon is saying it's not like for nowadays where we turn on a shower and psh, water comes out. Have you noticed how our houses are, are pretty awesome nowadays? There's faucets and water everywhere we need it. You know, some kitchens have like three or four of them. There's bathrooms with multiple. Um, the water is fully available. And what I find interesting is that when we think of, of our communication with kids, sometimes we think about it like a spigot. And what, what Solomon is teaching us is that this is a drawing out process. This is a laborious process. It takes 
focus. It takes time. You can't just rip the bucket up. You have to carefully bring it up and you have to go, you know, it's a continual process of it. And it gets easier over time. You get your strength built up to be able to do this. And so think about this as a process over one conversation. I'm going to go through a couple things here. Um, and my eyes are getting to be, I finally this year went and got readers at Costco. So you'll have to forgive me for a couple of these as I do this. <laughs> um, how many of you have gotten the readers at Costco? Three pack for $15. <laughs> you can lose them. It's awesome. Um, what I want to share with you is a model that we teach at Project Patch. We, um, it's, it's not a perfect model, but the model is helping us understand some levels of communication, some different things that are going on um, in, in conversation, and just want to dive into that. Um, the first level that we say is called silent listening. Silent listening. What does silent listening look like? Yeah, so you're making some mm-hmm nods. You're, you're using a little bit of your voice to communicate that you're still interested in what they're saying. Physically, what are you doing with your body? You're, you're communicating that I'm interested, right? For some of the people that you're dealing with, um, that might be a close proximity. And then sometimes that might feel really awkward. And so you're actually sideways to them a little bit. Um, as the conversation flows, that can change a little bit. But what you're doing is communicating with your body that you're really interested in what they have to say. And what's amazing to me is that it's eyebrows, it's, it's head nods, it's laughing at appropriate times. Um, if you're doing this on your phone, what's that communicating? I'm not interested, right? <sighs> no time, frustration, right? sighing and so all you're doing is trying to avoid those things here's the interesting thing is that um, some of your kids might be feeling really uncomfortable with that conversation so just because you're showing good body language um, to say hey look at me we need to be demanding their responsiveness and their body language isn't what you're doing you're communicating with your body that you're interested in what they're saying if they're fiddling with the grass if they're picking at their fingernail if they're crossing their arms, that doesn't matter, okay? You're, you're not responsible for that side of it. And honestly, if you press them to look up or to speak louder or whatever, um, that puts them on the defensive. And so all you're doing is modeling interest in what they have to say, um, a ton of interest. And part of why I've, I've handed out these things is that there's lots of reasons for it today, but part of it is that having something simply in your hands as you're having a conversation makes things way easier, way easier to do. Um, just because um, your focus, you just don't have that intensity. And what a lot of kids have struggles with is that their online world is, is way less intense, way less intimate. And so having an intense conversation with a parent that's doing really good active listening is going to feel threatening to them. So having something in their hand that they can just fiddle with is, is really helpful. Hey, you know, I skipped something that I want you to do real quick before we get too far into this. I'd like you guys to have a quick conversation with each other. And so what I want you to do is pair up with one other person. And when you've paired up with that person, um, raise your elbow as high as you can. Okay, fantastic. And then I want you to determine, let's do it alphabetical by first name. Whoever's got the, the, the letter closest to A, and if you are tied with A, go into the next letters. Whoever's got the, the lowest alphabetical name will go first in this activity. And so what I mean by go first is that you've got one minute to share some sort of challenge that you're having, some sort of problem that you're trying to solve, something that you're struggling with. It doesn't have to be super deep, but something that's on your mind, a decision maybe that you're making. You've got one minute to share that. And then at the end of that minute, I'm going to shout out in a really loud voice, switch. 
And then the other person that's been listening will have a minute to solve it. Okay? Are you, are you ready? Get set, share, and you're done. All right, come on back. How did that go, guys? How'd it, how'd it feel? You felt stressed. Anyone else feel stressed by that? I felt stressed just watching you guys. What else? Any other response to that? How do the people feel as far as you were sharing? How did, how did that feel? Yeah. Why would that change the way I was shared if I knew that the other person had to stop what I was sharing? <laughs> 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 so it, just how I set it up made it really hard to like just dive in, right? Yeah. How many of you were really distracted during that time? Yeah, really distracted, hearing lots of voices going on. Oh, so... So my making, my making animals up here was distracting <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I find that with the conflict, sometimes it's, it's with my husband, it's, it's eye contact is hard for me. Sometimes I find myself looking. So for you, the eye contact, sitting side by side, yeah. getting, getting it, it just didn't feel like the right environment for it, right? Yeah, please. We didn't have any problems. We sat close, we focused Boom. on other, and we, yeah. Yeah, you're ready. We the problem, shared some suggestions. We yeah. didn't solve the problem. Oh, so you didn't listen to what I had you do. <laughs> <laughs> you solved it together. So you made suggestions. So here's what's interesting. Some of you just naturally resist what I actually asked you to do, which is good, which is good, because what I asked you to do is actually something that, that we often do, but is... is tends to be really damaging for relationships. And part of that is that, how many of you believe that you're really good multitaskers? Anyone? Okay, let me drop a truth bomb on you, is that multitasking is a lie. Did you know that? <laughs> From a brain side, is that it's, it's an impossibility to multitask on high level things at the same time. You can do low level stuff, you just watch me walk and talk at the same time. That's pretty impressive, right? I can add gum most of the time and walk, talk, chew gum. So low level tasks you can do at the same time, but high level tasks, things that require attention, things that require thought, interpretation, um, nuance, all those kind of things, you can't do high level tasks at the same time. What you can do is that you can switch between tasks and they say by, by um, women are, are fast switchers. Does that make sense? So they're able to switch between attention span faster um, than us guys can. But for all of us, the ability to do two things at the, at the same time for high-level tasks is, is impossible. And the reason I share that is, is I asked for you guys to do two high-level tasks for, for one of the people. One of the persons had to listen to what the other person was saying, and they had to formulate advice all at the same time. And so those are, are tasks that are in opposition to each other. Does that make sense? And so the struggle that we have is that for most of us, when we have a kid coming to share a problem with us, what are we focused on? Or when someone else is talking to us, what are most of us focused on? Yourself, right? Similar to if I was to plaster a picture, I'll take a picture of you guys right now, click, and put that picture up here, what would most of you look for first? Yeah, by human nature, we look, how do I look? You don't necessarily look for other people. Our interests tend to be self-serving. And the, the challenge of that is in conversation, when people are talking to us, it's a very high-level task, and the highest-level task of this is listening. 
is listening to what the other person says. And because of that, we can't be thinking about how am I going to respond? What am I going to say? How am I going to get the silence done? Am I, going to, am, I, am I going to be able to come up with the right response? All those things have to be pushed aside and for us to focus on how do I increase this person talking? And so that's where silent listening is, but silent listening is exhausting. It's mentally exhausting and it's physically demanding because what I'm doing is I'm making sure that I'm communicating in the way that, that keeps the ball rolling. And so silent listening is, is really that, that base. If you're filling out your words here, it's using your body and expressions to encourage talking. So your body and your expressions. Um, and so you're, you're nodding, you're, you're using your face for that. For us, that's our home base that we're going to use for all our communication. Um, the next level is questioning. Questioning. And really when I say questioning, it's not taking that light and shining it in their eyes and doing interrogation. What it is, is really clarifying open-ended questions that encourage further sharing. So open-ended questions. You're trying to get away from yes, no, things that encourage them to talk a little bit more. Um, that'll just encourage sharing. And so if you've been doing silent listening, I don't know if you've run into it, but especially with teens and little kids is that they'll start cycling. They'll start saying some of the same things over and over, or they'll go into a silence where they just aren't sure what to say. And so silent listening, you've been doing it, you've been nodding, but there's just suddenly silent. You can't just sit there and do facial contortions to get them to talk. <laughs> and so a really good idea is just to ask a, a simple clarifying question. You know, what happened next? You know, something like that, that just all you're doing is nudging the conversation. Imagine a rock rolling along that you're just trying to keep that ro rock ro rolling. And so you've been using silent listening and now you just give it a nudge with, with a question. Once you ask that question, what do you do? you return to silent listening. Silent listening is your home base. And so you've used a tool of a question and now you're back to listening. You're back to listening. And so questions are really powerful. What I find for kids with questions is even a yes or no question can be useful because there's times that they'll be, yes, exactly, and then they'll start talking. And so that, that can be useful or no, that's not quite right and they'll explain a little bit more. So don't feel freaked out about what questions to ask. Just ask, ask a simple question. Um, the next phase is paraphrasing. Paraphrasing is, my kids are, are, like I said earlier, they're nine and eight right now, nine, nine, and eight. And tomorrow I'll show pictures because I'm a proud dad. But um, it's, it's really funny because our girls especially know how to annoy each other. And what they do is they'll start repeating everything the other person says. <laughs> Any of your kids do that? Yeah. Stop talking, stop talking, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, and so what we say is, is this paraphrasing is not doing that. Paraphrasing is just really making sure that you're capturing the idea, expressing the meaning of the other person in words that really um, helps achieve further clarity. And so the meaning of what they're saying, you're just trying to capture that and, and give it back to them. I find that teens sometimes get stuck at that point that they're trying to share something with you and they keep saying the same point over and over because they don't quite get that you get it. Does that make sense? And so just simply expressing the meaning of what, what they're saying, repeating it back to them in a way that, that is using your own words and your own thoughts is a, is a way to nudge that conversation forward. And so you've been silent listening. You had to give a big push with a paraphrase, right? And that paraphrase worked. They started talking. What do you do? Back to silent listening. Hop back up there. Um, do some listening. You might ask a question. You might go back. You might do paraphrasing. Those, those are areas that you might be working in. Um, the next thing that you do is, is possibly that you might use as a tool. And remember, all these are tools that you have available for you to keep the, the rock rolling, right? 
Silent listening could be all it takes, but sometimes you might need another tool. Um, one that we talk about sometimes is, is empathizing. Empathizing is really connecting on, on um, letting them know that you understand their, their emotions and feelings, that you share, um, understand and share their, their feelings. So imagine um, someone's just sharing with you about how embarrassed they were at school by something that happened to them. Some mistake that they made, maybe something that, that happened in the classroom that just left them feeling really, really embarrassed. So an empathizing would just be connecting at that point that, that says that you get that emotion, you can, you can feel that emotion with them. Really powerful, isn't it? Because when someone gets that emotion, wow, I'd feel horrible if I was embarrassed, you know, if I was embarrassed like that, or I, that'd be really awkward. They, they understand that, that, that you get them. What I find interesting about empathizing is that empathizing is really useful, very powerful, but if you're not careful, empathizing can take the conversation and shift who's in the center of it. We had a mom that had her child at, at Project Patch, and that mom was a, a, a really neat lady, really interesting lady, but that mom had also been in, in youth treatment as a, as a teen. So whenever she came to the youth ranch, her daughter and her would be doing something, she, oh, this is just like when I, was at treatment or, you know, whenever the daughter shared something about her experience at Project Patch, the mom was, oh, that's just like what I had or I had. And the conversation focus would, would switch to mom. And so that daughter was left feeling really frustrated because it's not, yeah, it's, it's not about you. I wasn't sharing to, to get you to talk. Um, and so empathizing is powerful, but it also can easily shift the attention to, to me. I get it. It's about me. Or I felt worse or I've had and, and we start um, doing one-type stories. So it's just really connecting at that feeling. Um, less is more, that's what I'd say for, for all of these. Um, the next thing, so once again, if you've done a, a great empathizing, where do you return to? Silent listening, and why did you use empathizing? Yeah, to keep the conversation going, or to really encourage them that they can start talking about a different aspect of it. Does that make sense? And so if they're really un unsure about the feelings, you've checked in on the feelings, you've got clarity on the feelings, and now they start moving into to maybe something else about it. So another thing that you can do is called supporting. Um, supporting is to sustain or uphold another person's in their actions or decisions. That sounds really official, doesn't it? To uphold someone else's decisions. So if someone says, you know, I'm just gonna quit smoking. Smoking's stupid. What would be a good thing to do at that point? Supporting that, right? <laughs> you know, that sounds like you've really given a lot of thought to it. And, and you know, that, that sounds like a decision that'd be great for you. You know, that, that the future you will thank you for. You know, so that's, that's maybe a quick supporting thing that, that you might want to do. Um, supporting a decision or action or a direction that they're going to be taking. Here's what's interesting, though, is, is that when you start supporting, you're starting to sneak in a level of, of authority. Does, does that make sense? So you're starting to step in with, with a little bit of judgment into, into the picture. And that can be really useful, um, or it can, be, it can be the opposite way. Um, in college, I dated a girl that, um, let's just be kind, there's moments that I thought she was the devil's spawn after I divorced, not divorced, after we quit dating. We were horrible together, and, and it was bad. It was bad, and, and you know what's interesting about it is that my parents talked to me about it, my brothers talked to me about it, my friends talked to me about it. And what did I do? I actually almost got more motivated by that, which is really a, a poor character trait of mine. I'll show you that sort of thing. 
But some of that was just because I, probably looking back at it, we didn't have some of these other steps before they started adding some of that, you should do, you know, some of those, those advice giving type things. And so, you know, thinking about supporting is that until I feel heard, you know, some of those, those steps shouldn't be taken, but supporting can be really useful because it, it adds some conviction to it. It adds some conviction to it and our kids need that sometimes. Um, and so if I had gotten to the point with my friends or parents that say, you know, I'm not sure that, that she's as good of a person when we're together and that, that I'm the best person when we're together. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that, that maybe we're, we're not as good that way. If they had said a supporting comment of, well, it looks like you know, you're really doing some deep thinking about it, that must be hard to think about. Do you sense that that probably would have kept me thinking and talking rather than defensive? So that's the sort of thing that you're supporting, you're supporting process, you're supporting that, that sort of thing going on. Back to silent listening. Another one is analyzing. Analyzing how I define it and you can define it however you want is detailed examination of what someone is saying or the situation that they're in. And so let's say your kid is failing out of um, biology and they're concerned about their biology grade. What would analyzing possibly look like from a parent's standpoint at, as they share about, about this sort of thing, as they're trying to get clarity about their biology grade? Jump to the wrong conclusions. Yeah, you could jump to the wrong conclusions, but analyzing wise, you might want to look at, hey, how many weeks of school have we had? How many more weeks do we have? What sort of grade would it take to get to a passing level? You know, the, those sorts of things would be an analyzing tool, right? Did you really fail? Probably is not necessarily the question to ask, but it's, it's really saying, what, what is in play? You know, is, is it really, is your quarter really over or are there still things that you can do? And so you're looking at, at the big picture, you're helping them start, start getting a little more systematic, you're broadening their view of it. And so for a team that says, I'm not gonna pass um, biology, well, through analyzing it together, you, they might be able to. And some of that analyzing that's done well is just asking some leading questions so that they're processing different perspectives of it. But you're just trying to get, get everything out on the, on the, on the plane. Um, another aspect of analyzing is, is when they're um, talking about friends and, and disagreements and conflict. You know, sometimes it might be, what exactly did she say? You know, who was in the room? What was the context? You know, just trying to break that down because um, our memories are, are really bad. What I've discovered is, is for me, and you might see it here on the campus, if I'm preoccupied, I get my grumpy face. And so if I'm focused and walking, and this happens at Project Patch because I'll be going from the boys' dorm to my office when I work there, and you know, I could be walking across campus and one of the staff or kids would be, Chuck, are you mad at me? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm just sorry. I have this face that happens when I'm, I'm concentrating that ma makes people think they're, I'm angry. And so it's, you know, some of those analysis is, is I might not even have thought about you at that moment. You know, and so analyzing that and helping someone see that. So analyzing can be really useful. Evaluating, evaluating is the next step of it. It's to judge and determine the significance, worth, or quality of what the person um, said or did. And so once you're starting to evaluate, that was good, that was bad, right? You're, you're breaking the pieces down. And that can be really useful because there's times that kids need to know that they did the right thing. They took the right step. One of the things that I struggle with that's so hard, and, and most of you probably have that same thing, have you noticed that kids get rewarded in the short term for some of the dumbest stuff? 
So when they're doing life destroying or really bad relationship stuff, they get short-term rewards. And there's often times when kids are making really wise decisions that the short-term is really painful. And they are so far out of the long-term that they're not seeing the benefits of that. And so sometimes, you know, it's just that evaluating is you did the right thing and, it, and doing the right thing sometimes hurts, you know, or, or it sets you back or you lose friends, you know, that sort of thing. And evaluating can be a really good tool for that. Once again, you've done a good evaluation. What do the kids, what do you want the kids to do after you evaluate? Start talking some more, right? You've used it as a tool to get them thinking and, and processing verbally. So the last one is advising. Solomon talks about it as that advice is like a golden apple or silver apple, I'm not sure which. I'm not sure what the metaphor with that is, but it must be good. <laughs> so advice at the right time can be golden. And so it's not a bad thing to, to think about. Advice, really, as we say it, is, is supporting the best, um, suggesting the best course of action. Suggesting the best course of action. And so you, you might give them some advice on, on what to do. So here's the question for you is that as you look at these tools, what we've drawn it in is a, a triangle and we've tried to be symbolic with this thing. When I first saw this triangle, I adapted it from, from lots of teaching. It was the other way around. So it looked like a, a pyramid with a mountain. And at the very top was advising. So for any of you mountain climbers out there, when you see the advising at the top, what's your goal? That's where I'm going to get to. <laughs> the sooner the better, right? Um, what I've tried to do is reverse that action around and really demonstrate that, that silent listening is, is our goal. Silent listening is our goal. If we have to give advice, we give advice. But here's what's awesome about that even is that a lot of times we don't have to give the advice. They'll walk away with clarity, with purpose, with action, with something that you really even say, wow, that's, that, I, and it, I wouldn't have even thought of that and they go off and do it. A lot of times with advice, you can give all the advice in the world, but they just don't internalize it, right? They don't go to the internal motivation. And the other thing that we really focus on this thing is, is that there is an invisible line that we try to draw right in here. And what that invisible line is, is that when you go down here, we wanna to try to make these permission-based. Permission-based. For most of us that have jobs, and even today, I'm doing seminar, right? And, and I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in advice, analyzing. That's what most of us get paid for. The better you are at these things, most likely you're getting paid more for being good at that. Most of us aren't spending much time in these skills in the workplace. It's not rewarded as much. And so when you get home from a long day at work and your kid starts talking, what do we naturally bump to? Right down here, right? And so what I want to say is, is that try to keep your conversations up here. Try to use, try to get away with these four tools as much as possible. And these aren't every single conversation. This is just those, those deeper conversations when you recognize that you're kind of on a holy ground conversation. So spend time up here. If you're going down here by permission based, hey, I've been through something similar. If you're interested, I'd love to share with you some of the stuff I learned um, through that, that experience. Or I've got a friend that went through something similar. You know, if, if you're interested, I can share, you know, some of the things that, that I learned from that. I've got some advice that I'd love to share with you, but, you know, I, I don't know when you, if you're interested in hearing it. I'd, I'd love to share it. Just let me know when. And you're giving them permission to, to invite you into these, into these spaces. What I find is that when a teen says, yeah, sure, I'd love to hear about that, 
you're given you're given space and you're given a validity they invited you into that that space of advice and and it just seems much more powerful any response on this yeah please That's more for teens though we're talking like younger kids younger kids this is perfect with younger kids too don't run in the street is not this conversation um, but when they're saying you know I just don't want to go to Pathfinders anymore I hate Pathfinders this would be your, your skill set for that um, when they're not wanting to have a kid over for play date that you're you like her mom this would be the time to use this skill set even for a little kid um, honestly this is not a kid base this is actually taught from adult coaching mentality so this is adult relationship um, I just find that teens probably navigate this a little bit better than than a kid would and so you can verbally give a little bit more for a teen and expect a little bit more from them but yeah great question thank you yeah so you can use this with little kids and and adults yes please um, what do you do if um, the one that you're talking to is older but they're not a talker so if you say if you'd like me to share they don't respond and they never come back to ask. yeah that's fine then you don't you don't share yeah that's the struggle that we have is that It'll be so frustrating because there's times that you have the exact solution for what they need and they're not ready for it or they're not, they're not open to it. If you share that without their permission, you're going to get about the same results as not sharing it. Does that make sense? And so there are ways that we can share concern and we'll get to that. So if you're concerned about a teen's behavior, you don't need permission to share that concern. Um, so, so let's divide those up a little bit, but this is really if you're at that point of having a conversation with them and you know the solution for their problem and they're not ready for you to, to get it, yeah, just, just wait on it. And there's times that we make it as appealing as possible for them to ask, you know, and so we, we, don't, we do want to make sure that it's not just to shrug it off um, and create other conversations around it. That's, that's probably what I'd say is, is find ways to bring it up again. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the struggle that I have. If we give advice and our kids aren't ready for it, what you'll find is that they probably will not come talk to you as much. So if a, if a teen's talking about a relationship with a teacher and, and you tell them exactly what to do to solve it without really hearing them out, the likelihood of them sharing that level of, of, of conversation drops. They're going to they're gonna talk to someone else or else they're going to internalize it. And you've noticed that with your friends, haven't you? where you've called because you want to talk about something and they've just talked about themselves or they've just blabbed out what you should do. Um, us as Christians are the worst at this because there's times we throw out a text at each other. Yeah, that's also known as a Jesus juke, <laughs> where it's like Jesus is the answer. And that's true. Jesus is the answer. I'm not making fun of that. But, um, you know, Jesus heard people out, you know, and, and he knew their hearts. He connected with them individually and personally. And then he did stuff to invite them to follow him. You know, the, the process is there. And so keep that in mind is that if you follow this, you'll find that, that kids do some, some awesome stuff. Here's the other really blessing from it is that how many of you have ever given advice to someone and look back at it and say, that was horrible advice. <laughs> and they blamed you for it, right? <laughs> and so what's amazing about this is, especially with other people's kids, if you're spending time up here, they're reaching a conclusion. You're helping them explore that conclusion, but they own it. You know, so it's not your, they're getting accountability. So if you're looking at this process, keep in mind that at top you're saying you're capable and at the bottom you're saying you need me. So if you look at this thing right here, you're raising the kid's line. And when you're having silent listening, the top conversations, this kid's line's going up 
when you're having conversations toward the bottom on the red side, you're actually raising your raising yours and making them more dependent on you. Um, we talked about camp counselors um, in training with them, um, Pathfinder leaders, all those sorts of people. Your goal is for those kids to launch, right? Not become dependent on you. You want that strong, secure relationship, but not, not that unhealthy dependence, not that codependence. Any other questions on this? This is, um, yeah. I was just wondering, the last one with the advising, um, something that I had someone say is, it's not necessarily an advice, but we're just giving them an idea. Um, because, you know, not just with our kids, but even with friends or something, yeah. we don't know the whole picture sometimes. Yeah. You know, you may only hear part of it. You know, you don't hear the other part. And so to put it all together sometimes can take a really long time yeah. to really come to uh, understanding the whole picture. So often, um, to me, is it, someone just said to me, is it just better to say, hey, I have an idea or a thought. I really like that. Rather than saying it's an advice because then you have something above what, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you're coming from up here rather than, um, yeah. you know, just, hey, an idea. Yeah, I really like that. Instead of saying you should do this, is hey, I've got some ideas. Here's some here's some different ideas, different ways to look at it. That, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. So the power of, of even the phrasing really makes a big difference. Any other thoughts, questions on this? All right. So our goal is not to get to dependence and you need me. Our goal is to is to launch forward. Um, Carl Rogers, um, a psychiatrist way back, had this saying that just really I resonate with it. He wrote, I'm interested in you as a person, and I think what you feel is important. I respect your thoughts, and even if I don't agree with them, I know they're valid for you. I want to understand you. I think you're worth listening to, and I want you to know that I'm the kind of person you can talk to. Powerful, isn't it? And for kids, you know, for both our kids and the kids that we have influence over, for them to feel that way, that, that takes time, doesn't it? It takes little tests that they're going to give you. You know, can I share with this person? And, and when you pass the test, that's, that's what they're thinking. That's what they're feeling. There's just a security that, that comes from that. Barriers to communication. Do you guys have rock slides out here, mud slides? <laughs> I started looking at this picture last night, and I'm like, I don't think they'll understand. In the Pacific Northwest, where we get snow and hillsides, the rocks come crashing down on the road all the time. Um, yeah, not that big, but that's pretty impressive. So emotion, high amounts of emotion from you or the other person um, really makes, makes communication hard. And I'll be honest with you, I really struggle with um, when teens, especially um, my wife or my girls are, are really highly emotional, that causes me to, to feel some fear. You know, and so I work on that is that I need to be more comfortable with emotion. But how we teach the brain, and, and we'll go over a little bit more in, in some other settings, is that we use a really simple hand um, example for it. And so imagine this is your brain stem. All the nerves, all that stuff's coming up to the, the base brain. And the base brain is really this basic part that has some, um, chooses what our brain's paying attention to. Um, our responsiveness is there. Um, some people call it the lizard brain just because it's just really this jittery, jumpy um, is this good or is this bad? Fear is, is, is in a sense of everything's a threat, right? And so you've got this base brain, which is pretty awesome. Um, it's, it's knowing what senses are, are sending us information. Then you've got this thumb section that we bring in that we represent the limbic system. Um, and it's really basic form, it's memory and emotion. So the amygdala and the hippocampus, just on a really basic level, are living there. 
And so you've got the emotions and memory. And emotions and memory are really useful because that means that we're not processing everything for the very first time, right? When I meet someone, it's not like the first time I've ever met someone. And so I, can, I know how to socially do stuff because I've got memories of, of social stuff. The weird thing is, have you ever met someone and you either really like them quickly or you distrust them quickly? And then over time, you learn that maybe you shouldn't have trusted them so much or maybe you learn that they really were a good person because our memory system stores stuff. It responds to stuff in ways that we can't quite verbalize, but it, it, it impacts our actions. And sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. This is that system where when you look at, at child development, our brains integrate from backwards to forwards. And so the, the limbic systems where our teens and, and tweens are, are just on fire. Their friendships, their emotions, um, establishing memories, trying new things is, is really hot. And then we bring down the, the frontal lobe. And remember, the frontal lobe for us guys is probably 28 years old before it fully integrates. Um, for girls, it's maybe in the, their mid-20s. And so our teens' frontal lobe and kids are, are not, quite, not quite over. It takes longer for them to engage. And so when you think about emotions, emotions, they flip their lid. That, that's kind of the feel for it. Their frontal lobes are not involved. They're not being rational. They're not being logical. They're not doing cause and effect. They're just psh, emotional. So here's the thing is if you're the parent and their emotions flip you out, you're going limbic system to limbic system. And that's just pure chaos. That's pure chaos. And what you have to do as a parent is figure out how I can respond. Your frontal lobe's your response system. Your other two systems are your reactive systems. Does, does that make sense? And so if you go reactive system to reactive system, what do you get? Fireworks, right? And so a lot of times what we're doing is, is helping people calm down, making sure that you're calmed down before you get into these conversations. Because if you're wound up, that's typically when we say stuff that we regret. Um, lack of tools. A lot of kids just haven't had um, training in communication. What we find is especially, um, we just have to practice this stuff with our kids. We have to teach them how to communicate, um, how to understand their emotions. A lot of what we do at Project Patch, and, and there's some criticism of what we do, we have a program called DBT, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, and it's a program that is emotion regulation. At its, not, at its basic form, is, is teaching kids about their emotions, how they affect each other, how to respond, how to communicate, all these really basic things. And we realized over time that most of the kids don't know them, and a lot of times we've discovered that their parents, during parent weekend as we train it, they, they're also learning it for the first time. So for kids that have been raised on TV, social media, some of those things, they lack some of those, those tools. Filtered listening, <laughs> I'm really good at this. It's not a good thing. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, filtered listening is just that ability to hear what you want to hear or to, to glab on to one thing and just respond there. Having agenda. Have you ever had someone that say, I want, I want to, um, let's talk about something. And really what they want to do is, is that when they leave the conversation, they want you to do something. So um, have you ever been on nominating committee? <laughs> when you talk to people, what is your agenda for that? For them to say yes, right? Yeah, and so in a sense, that's a really tough conversation is because you've got an agenda, they've got an agenda to keep out of offices, and so there's a, there's a challenge there. Um, the other thing that we find is distractions are huge. Um, do you guys have Red Robin restaurants out here? Yeah. Yeah. My wife won't take me to Red Robin. <laughs> 
because I can't stop looking at the TVs. There could be golf showing and I'm just, and my kids are just as bad. When we go to, to, um, to restaurants, we have to really watch where the TVs are or else none of the food will get eaten. Distractions are a huge problem. Um, and homes are really distracting environments. You've got a kid that they come, most times for those holy moment conversations, let's just say you're, you're making supper and your kid sits down at, at, the, at the, um, the, the breakfast bar or whatever, and they just start sharing. How hard is it for you at that point to be distraction-free? It's brutal, right? It tends to be that these conversations happen. So what we're trying to do is, is diminish the distractions. Turn off the TV. A lot of times we find that just going on a walk is really helpful. Just getting out of the house, sitting down on the porch, getting away from the other kids in the home, you know, just for a few minutes. All those things help with distractions. How many of you have been really distracted by the way distractions is spelled? <laughs> Bugs you, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the readers. <laughs> I do have spelling problems, so you'll see that over our time together. Um, but honestly, distractions make it hard to hear anything. Even simple spelling problems will make people tune out. That's totally intentional. Yeah, totally intentional. Yeah, very, very distracting. But that's, that's our lives. And remember what I talked about multitasking, right? Is that even a simple K instead... Well, yeah, it's spelled with a C, right? <laughs> Who knew? Um, even a simple misspelling has it hard for us to communicate, hard to listen at the same time. Um, time constraints, this is huge. And, and all I'll say is that I find that my kids, at least, will start talking about some really deep stuff right before bedtime. And finding a balance of that is really hard. You know, there's times that you will have that conversation. There's times that you might put it off. You know, let's wake up 15 minutes early. Let's wake up 30 minutes early. We'll grab a, a cup of tea and let's talk about it. You know, those sorts of things can help. Um, just so it doesn't become manipulative, but time constraints are, are brutal. Gender differences, we're going to this in just a minute. Please be patient with me and, and kind to me as we talk about that. And then personality differences, which we'll talk about just a, a little bit. So warning, generalities, your personal experience may vary. I am not putting you in a box, please. <laughs> I am not putting you in a box. Um, this is taken from Emerson Egrich. I don't know if any of you have read Love and Respect series by Emerson. Um, if you have a chance, Emerson's written a book, Love and Respect in the Family, which is gold. Really, really good book. Um, I had a chance of interviewing Emerson for a podcast about that family book, and it is fantastic. So what Emerson is saying is that um, there's some general traits between men and women on how we communicate, and being wise about these is really useful. He's saying that males prefer shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. And so shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time looks like um, for us guys, we'll be doing an activity together. We're working on a project together. Um, we're, we're hiking together. We're fishing together. We're doing something in which our person is, is shoulder to shoulder to us. So can you imagine that? For a guy to be sitting down at home and watching TV and not talking for 40 minutes with your wife sitting there, you will feel closer after that 40 minutes. And for most women, um, shoulder to shoulder, time can feel like wasted time. But for guys, it's just a thing that builds intimacy and trust. And so for a lot of us guys, just being together, doing an activity, whether you're doing it with your spouse, your kids, your guy friends, um, just simply going on a walk or a hike together and not saying anything is, is a bonding experience. And it will lead to conversation. 
Um, what's interesting is that Emerson's wife was, was frustrated because her teenage boy, every day that when you get home from school, she tried to connect with him. How was your day? How was your day? And he'd say, fine. <laughs> Next day, same thing. And he finally said, mom, my days are fine. If it changes, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal, right? <laughs> And so she's like, I'm going to try this shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. I'm not going to ask him questions. I'm just going to spend time with him. And so they were on a long drive together. And about 45 minutes into the drive, he says to his mom, Mom, did I tell you about something that happened at school? And her thought is, we haven't talked for 45 minutes. You know, it's what she's thinking. But she and her calm, it's like, no, honey. And, and he shared. And when he was done, he stopped. You know, and, and that's the power of shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. What we find at Project Patch is that for all our kids, boys and girls, we tend to start with shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. Um, we've got activities, we've got walks, we've got hikes, we've got just time of, of doing stuff together. And our staff are always um, active with the kids. So if our kids are playing basketball, we want our staff to be. If our kids are doing a, a raking, working project, um, gardening, our staff are doing it with them. And the reason for that is that it's shoulder to shoulder time. It it's, the, it's where you pay for the conversation. And so for all of us, boys, girls, I, I just recommend starting with that. And what, we also have swings in our front of our, our yard um, and we sit on those swings and we, we go back and forth and what I find is that those shoulder to shoulder conversations turn to face to face over time. Uh, males tend to have a sense of honor and confrontation is that when in confrontation their honor is, is something that they're really sensitive for and so anything that would prick it or, or threaten that honor raises our emotions and makes us want to, to disengage and so anything that, that the wording threatening tends to, to pull us out. And that's for, for young boys too. You'll see it in conversation, even your little guys, that just tends to be a thing that they're, they're worried about. So if it has to do with their truth, their dignity, you know, any of those sorts of things, they'll, they'll feel some, they'll be more resistant to it. Um, they also in conflict need real respectful communication. So needing um, a tone, a way of, of of getting that interpersonal that's, that's really honoring. And that's hard sometimes. Um, when your son's not acting honorable, <laughs> how do you communicate in an honorable way? And that's pacing. Um, that's the way you, you might refer to, to mistakes that have been made. In general, females prefer face-to-face -face communication. That's that Starbucks table with a lot of eye contact. And when you see, um, even here at camp meeting, you see people that move their chairs you know, so that they can have more face-to-face -face rather than shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. And that's, that's really the, the tends to be where, where women like to go. And like I said, these are generalities. There's guys that really love face-to-face. -face. There's girls that are really uncomfortable with face-to-face. -face. And so for each one of your kids, you're trying to figure that out. Um, and females tend to confront to connect. And that's really weird for us guys <laughs> because we don't like confrontation, but there's times that, that they'll, um, especially if they feel disconnected, might actually pick a fight with the hope that it'll lead to restoration and, and connectedness. And so for us guys, simply knowing that's really useful. You know, when our daughters might be pushing away from us, that might be a sign that we just need to spend a little bit more time um, doing some things to, to connect with that. And then in conflict, need real loving communication. So our tone of voice, our attitudes, everything just needs to communicate that, that I care about you. And as they show, share bravely about themselves, you know, really being loving and, and kind around that. So these are generalities, but it's really important to know. And what I'd say the gold from this is, is the shoulder to shoulder as well as the face to face. For us guys with our daughters, we need lots of face to face. 
you know, so that could be dates, you know, you know, when you're going out for ice cream or yogurt or something like that. And just having that time in which you're, you're sitting there doing that. It also means lots of walks, um, hikes, activities, those sorts of things. Um, the, the power of, of certain things like youth ministry that involves like camp ministry and pathfinders is that by nature, those are a lot of shoulder to shoulder time. Lots and lots of shoulder to shoulder time as you're in the unit doing activities, all those kind of things. And so to me, the, the fruit of some of those programs is more conversation. Can you just give me an example of a sense of honor and confrontation to the males so I just have a good idea of what you're talking about? Yeah, so a sense of honor and confrontation. Let me open it up to you guys. What does that, what does that mean to you? What does that look like to you guys when you're in conflict to, to preserve your honor? Any, any thoughts on that? Not talking over each other, allowing each other the time to explain your situation. The, you're not a male, but that's, that's a good one. <laughs> because being cut off while we're explaining ourselves, because we might be communicating a little slower, or we might be formulating our thoughts. Um, and there's times that we might feel like we're going to get it wrong. I'd like to hear from a guy before I turn to the females. Uh, yeah. I'll talk from my, my son's perspectives. When my boys are in a, in a conflict and one of them says, you're lying, that's a, that's a blow up moment because I'm not lying. That's a huge uh, strike against their honor and integrity. Yeah, that, that integrity being being whomped at. Yeah, that, that really could be. Anything else from the guys? Okay, now let's open up for wives for things that you, oh, let's go ahead. Well, it, it's like sometimes when you get in a conversation and you're like made to feel like you did something that was just stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, how can you do that? How how can you think it was okay to allow them to do that? Yeah, you know, something like that. That's strikes in my eye. So you're when it starts questioning your your care or your ability, it's never happened. <laughs> Theoretically. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, though, because honestly, that, that tends tend to be the thing is that um, there's times that, that, that our wives might heap on at that moment, you know, and, and sense the vulnerability and start heaping on it. And that's where, you know, if we're talking about this mistake that made or this sort of decision that was made, going back in time and bringing back information to that will, will really set us off. Yeah, please. Uh, yeah, you know, we call it dissing, you know, or, you know being judgmental or contemptible, you know, holding contempt. And I often have to wonder, you know, with a lot of these uh, fatal shootings that happen maybe between police and, you know, civilians and, and, and just between civilians, you know, often result as, you know, exactly this, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you know the, we have that text, you know, a harsh, you know, a harsh word stirs up anger, but a gentle answer, you know, turns away wrath. Yeah. And, you know, very much so, I think a lot of times these situations escalate because you know, the one disses the other and, you know, I, I can't allow myself to be dissed in front yeah. of my buddies. And so, you know, then I'm going to pull my gun and, you know. Yeah, so that idea that I'm trying to preserve my honor because I have to and that that, that other person doesn't see me as honorable raises, it raises, it escalates. It escalates, yeah. So one more and then we'll, we'll keep moving, please. Um, I remember from the Love and Respect seminars that um, Dr. Eckert had a really good example of when a little boy does something to maybe hurt a little girl, if his teacher or his mom makes him apologize to her, the little boy instinctively wants to look down and kick at the ground, and the mom or teacher or whoever wants to say, look her in the eye, and he wants to look at the ground because it, he feels shame if he looks looks that person in the eye yeah. to, to apologize. So he's actually being respectful by looking down. Interesting. 
Yeah, if you have a chance to go to hear Emerson um, teach, he's, he really is, it's, it's really good. And his family book is even better than his first one. Uh, really, really good stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about personality. If you attend our family experience, which is our, our family, um, we have a 500-acre family retreat in Goldendale, Washington, or we'll bring it on the road if you guys are interested in, in having something close here. But it's a four-day experiential for the entire family. And a key part of what we do is that we do a personality profile test for everyone in the family. Um, for kids that are above age 10 or 12 that are verbal enough, they take the test. And for the others, we have a book that kind of guides you through identifying. But it's really the DISC assessment in a quick way for the whole family. And it's, it's kind of foundational. And what we say is that in this, there's four quadrants. At the top is really guarded and task-oriented. At the bottom is open and people-oriented. Clear over there is direct and fast-paced. And over here is indirect and slower paced. And so it's just four different quadrants and we all kind of play in all the quadrants. So don't think of yourself locked in. Um, the personality test will kind of reveal that. Um, by guarded and task oriented, that means you're trying to get stuff done and you're not as open about yourself. Um, open and people oriented, that means that you love the people, you love connecting with people and you don't mind personal sharing. Indirect means that if I, um, let's just say I have a big burger hanging out of my nose here, um, you indirect people would be handing me a tissue or going like this, right? Um, the direct and faster paced people would be like, hey Chuck, you got a booger hanging out of your nose. <laughs> and you'd, you'd share that, right? It'd be, and all of this is not right or wrong. God does this. And he does it in such a way that drives us crazy because our family is a mix of all these things. And so we've got the lion personality. We've got the otter personality. We've got the golden retriever personality, and then you've got the beaver personality. So each one of these is slightly different. We use animals just so it's a little more approachable. Um, the beaver is natural strengths are really structured, accurate, systematic. If you have a brain surgeon, you want them to be the beaver, okay? They're well studied, they're careful, they know exactly what they're doing and why they're doing it. Underlying conflict and emotion, excuse me, underlying emotion and conflict. So when the beaver personality is in conflict, they're really unsure. A lot of that's because they are fact-based and a lot of the emotions are hard to quantify. And so in their brain, they're just trying to figure out what happened, when did this sequentially happen, and, and just trying to figure out all those, all those details. Communication style is questioning, analyzing, clarifying. If you've got a beaver kid and you say, we're gonna to go to camp meeting, and they're like, I don't know, because what are we going to do on that Tuesday afternoon when I typically have my trumpet lesson? You know, they're into the facts. What do we need to pack? What do we need to do? All those things. And sometimes it comes across as rebellion to us, but in actuality, they're, they're craving that information. Um, the lion personality, they're very decisive, goal-oriented. They know what they need to do. If you take, let's just say um, you're inviting a lion personality for lunch, they're telling you where you're gonna go eat. They have no problem telling you that information because they wanna eat what they wanna eat. Um, impatience to anger in, in emotion and conflict, that's because they're very direct and fast paced. And so if you're saying to a lion, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm not sure about some of your behavior that you're doing, which behavior, when? You know, and they're, they're pushing back on that. They really wanna know and they want it fast. Um, communication style, direct, blunt, confrontational. And that's just kind of the natural, the natural way that they do it. Um, what we find is that healthy lions are fantastic. Emotionally unhealthy lions are really destructive because they're just out there. 
Um, they roar and, and cause all sorts of problems. Um, the golden retriever, natural strengths, easygoing, patient, good listener. Um, a lot of therapists, counselors are, are in that, that realm. Um, emotion and conflict is flatline. What that means is that they're just not sure how to respond. They can perceive lots of different levels of emotion and they just aren't sure exactly, you know, is it people, is it process, and they're, they're just kind of, there's a lot going on. Um, simply asking a, a golden retriever at a restaurant, what do you want to order? It's really hard. I have a daughter that orders macaroni and cheese at every single restaurant. Why? She doesn't want to decide. And so it's her go-to thing. Um, ironically, she just got diagnosed with lactose intolerance. <laughs> Poor little thing. And so she really struggles at restaurants now. Um, communication style is calm, caring, sincere. Um, really want to connect. Um, the otter personality, otters tend to just be fun-loving, optimistic. If it's not a party, they'll make it into a party. Um, they love the people sighing. Underlying emotion and conflict is optimism. If I can make people laugh, this will be taken care of. Or if I can do something, you know, if I can talk enough, they, they're really verbal. And so they, they really have this idea that I can solve it. If you're feeling bad or you're feeling sad, let's work it out. We'll get it figured out. And often they hurt people through that. Um, communication style is expressive, persuasive. The reason I share all of this is that all of this is going on in your communication. So if you've got a kid that, that is appearing to be resistant to something, it could just be their personality, how they communicate, the bluntness of how they communicate. If you're a golden retriever as a parent and your kid's a lion, how do they need you to communicate to them? Bluntly. How comfortable are you doing that? No, that's really uncomfortable for you, but why do you communicate to them bluntly? That's what they need. Yeah, that's what they need. And so you're not asking people to, to do what you need, what's comfortable for you. You're serving other people with your communication. So if you're blunt, or let's just say you're this otter, for me to talk to someone that's in, and this is what's funny about our family, is I'm otter, my wife is, is beaver. <laughs> so you can tell that we have some conflict in our family at times, right? Um, but for me to really come up with a plan, you know, what are we going to do Sabbath afternoon? I've got this optimistic plan that we're going to go rafting, okay? And she's looking at her clock knowing that it's impossible to do. You know, so when I'm coming up with ideas for the day, you know, the more factual I can be, the more an analysis that I can do, the better it serves her. Or giving her time, you know, giving her more time to process it than, than I'd need to do it. So all that stuff happens, happens at, a, at a regular basis. Um, for me to be with a group of people and feel connected is great. For someone that's more indirect, having a small group environment is going to be much better, much richer environment, lots of time one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And so I just share this with our family experience. We spend hours on this. It impacts how you um, deal with, with um, discipline for your kid. When you tell a golden retriever kid, you've got two choices, you either do this or that, you know, so the love and logic type parenting tends to explode with these golden retriever kids. Why? They can't choose. Choosing is really uncomfortable for them. You know, so you're actually demanding something from them that's, that's, that is harder for them than other kids. And so I'm not anti-love and logic. I'm just saying that personalities, it, everything affects, affects everything. Okay, a key phrase that I'd like you to practice as much as possible or is it seems like. You know, your question in the back earlier was if you've got an observation that your teen is maybe doing something that you don't want them to do or you've got a concern about their life, um, for, tomorrow, for, um, 
Thursday we'll be talking about video games. You know, it seems like you're playing this game and disconnecting from, from family and friends. That's a way that you'd be making an observation. You could say it as, hey, you're playing that video game a lot and you're not talking with our family. You're disconnected from our family. The content is the same, but there's something about saying it seems like that reduces their arguments back. You're making an observation. There's something about kids that they tend to respect um, observations and thoughts, but they push back on judgment, right? And so it seems like, just seems like <laughs> an easy way to, to break down barriers and communicate concern with kids. We use it all the time with, with our kids at Patch. It seems like you're really struggling today. It seems like you're, whoop, that's my alarm saying, Chuck, you've got five minutes. Um, for us to be able to, it seems like you're sad. It seems like you'd rather be someplace else right now. You know, it seems like you're kind of mad at me. All those things are, are really useful. And sometimes they'll say, no, I'm not. You know, I was just thinking about something else, or I'm just homesick today. And that leads into a conversation. You know, and, and to me, that's, that's the richness of, of making that sort of observation. Another thing that we'll talk about a little bit more through our, our session is, is the power of the word and. I don't think this is in your notes, um, so just write down a big and, and write down validating next to it. Validating is really that process of, of kids feeling like, like we get them. So validating behavior, validating um, feelings, making sure that the kids understand that, that we get that they're valid. Validating can be really useful for, for a number of, of really hard subjects, but they can demand a lot from us from a parent. So imagine um, from a therapeutic environment, you've got a kid that's just taken razor blades and, and done cuts throughout their arm. How do you validate that? And what we do for validation is, you know, I can see that you're feeling lots of pain, that you'd like to get, you'd like to be able to get control of your pain. And that that, that is, is making you, you feel somewhat in control. And I'd like to explore ways in which you can feel your pain, get over, you know, get through your pain without you having, having scars from it. You know, I can see where um, you shouting and throwing things, you know, seemed like the, the right thing to do and, and that it, it really kind of made you feel kind of powerful for a few minutes. And I'd like to, to explore maybe some ways that, that you can feel that same power without, without scaring people, without damaging things. The and is the powerful th transition from you get their behavior, you get their emotions, and you're providing a path toward healthily going through it. Th does that make sense? We tend to use the word but. You know, I get that you're feeling really sad, but you need to clean your room or you need to get to school. <laughs> you know, that's, that tends to be, and, and what does the word but tend to do? Erases everything we've said before, right? And so working in the word and as much as possible is just, it's, it's a skill that our kids connect with. And I think all of us connect with that word and. You know, I, I can understand that you're, you're feeling overwhelmed right now and, you know, you still have a lot to do today. Let's, let's figure out how we're going to get through our priorities for it. You know, those, those sorts of things. It creates some teamwork around it. And validating is, is hugely, hugely powerful. What if your kid's not responding? You're trying all these things and they're just not responding. Um, this is more for teachers. Class today, we're going to pop all the bubbles in this packing material. <laughs> you know, when you just, how many of you love popping stuff like that? <laughs> okay, fantastic. 
But you're, what you're doing is, is it takes the foundation of a relationship. And there's times that you might have a, have a kid that you really know needs to share something or that they need to go deep and they're just not doing it. That's where you're adding that shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder time. You're spending as much time together um, connecting, connecting as much as possible. Um, you know, a verse that I just want to share with you, just kind of a, a summary of this, is Jesus had a combination in his ministry of teaching. And um, a lot of times he told parables, right, in his teaching. And then other times, um, I'm reading out of Luke 9, it says, Once when Jesus was praying in private and his, and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? That's a great question, isn't it? And then he takes that question later, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Have you noticed that Jesus doesn't spend a whole lot of time um, just blasting people? Even when he's teaching, it says that he sat down on the mountain and the people came to him, right? Is that he wasn't going to people other than, I guess, when he drove the people out of the temple. That was one of his more aggressive, aggressive things that he did. But the majority of Jesus' teachings were permission-based. They were relationship-based. They were done in questions. They were done in a really dignifying way, is that he was teaching in a way that caused people to engage. He was trusting that they were intelligent. He didn't talk down to people. He knew that the world had all sorts of problems, but he was patient you know, as, as he taught. And, and so what I want to say is at the end of the day is that um, this isn't an easy thing, but our ability to show our kids dignity, uh, respect, how to create moments of, of that will increase the talking, how to recognize when you're on that holy ground and to be able to use some of the tools of restraint, you know, to, to keep that conversation going. There's huge, huge amount of power. And honestly, there's a huge amount of blessing in that. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that this was helpful. Um, tomorrow we're going to talk about raising kids in a pornographic world. We're going to get into um, some of the threats, but more than that, we're going to get into some of the, the whys of, of value systems for helping your kids stay away from porn. We're going to go through both um, the heavy stuff as well as a recovery plan. And so, you know, honestly, that's, that's one of my favorite things to talk about. It's, it's going to be an encouraging time together and um, a really difficult time together. So that's Wednesday, same time right here. Thursday's video game antidote. Um, Friday is disconnected in a connected world, so all the social media stuff. Um, we talked about the family experience. I didn't talk about too much about that. But anyone that's attending these seminars, I'll send you a voucher if you give me your information. Um, a voucher will give you your, your family 20% off that attending that. And if you are interested, um, I've got materials about that program here. We also have our youth program um, materials right up here so you can hear about our boys and girls program. And then finally, um, one of the things that I do as part of our ministry is I do a lot of this sort of thing in local churches. And so if you're interested in having a weekend seminar um, in your local church, my favorite thing to do is, is come in, talk to the kids at your school, and do a, a community outreach as part of that that weekend. So typically flying in on a Thursday, um, leaving on a Sunday, doing kind of a, a focus on, on how do we help families, how do we help the community around, around these topics. And so totally willing, excited about that. Um, if you're interested in all the slides from this, this thing, um, handouts, I saw some of you taking pictures. Um, if you text the word MICAMP to 44222, um, you just type in MI Camp. You'll get a little thing that asks you for your email, and I'll just start sending you. There'll be about four weeks of materials, including some videos, um, book types things. 
And um, if not, there's a sign-up sheet right here if you don't have a smartphone and we can get, get your stuff. Um, as always, sorry, last thing is I'd love to meet with you guys, take time to, to learn and also share, you know, if you've got specific challenges that you have with your kids, grandkids, I'd love to talk. So sign up right here and let me pray for you and we'll, we'll end our time together. Father, I just want to thank you for um, your example that you came um, to seek and save the lost. And you did it through connection, connecting hearts, drawing um, us back to you in a way that was tender, um, at the right time, the right words. And so, Father, I ask for your wisdom to, to be on the part of every parent here, every, every grandparent, every mentor. And Father, we realize that there's tough conversations coming up, um, things that, that, that our kids are struggling with that they need an adult perspective on. And, and just give us wisdom as we, as we deal with those situations. Most of all, Father, we just really um, thank you that we can connect with you, that you're always present, um, always drawing our hearts, connected with us, that you're not ever going to leave us. And so we just praise you for that. In your name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.